Hi, I'm Jacob Kenny. And I'm Liam McPherson. It's the newest edition of your Bishop's favorite podcast. It's Speech from the Throne, Episode 9. We're here to bring in the latest and greatest from the Halls of Power. But not with more tone-deaf Met Gala clickbait. We're just here to argue. Hey Jacob, what are we talking about today? Well Liam, over the last week, we've seen two seismic shifts in the political evolution of the conservative movement, not just here in Canada, but in North America overall. Obviously, the most important piece of news that we've seen um, in the United States is a leaked Supreme Court decision on the matter of Roe versus Wade that seems to show that uh, if abortion rights access in, in America was shaky before, it's now in complete jeopardy. The court there seems to be willing to overturn 50 years of precedent ending a right to abortion access in that country. Now, although this is by far the most important piece of political news, Liam and I, as, as two men, we don't feel too comfortable discussing it just with ourselves. And we will be addressing this, though, in a, in a future podcast with a female guest. So, so look out for that. But we're more interested in, in discussing right now, as we can, uh, the reaction of the Conservative Party to this movement, and as well... Uh, the conservative debate that just happened the day uh, as we are recording this, uh, Thursday, May the 5th. And there is a part of that debate that really stuck out for me, something that I think is, is also almost as much of a, an earthquake in the right-wing movement here in Canada. And that's when Charest tried to stab at uh, his main opponent, Pierre Polyev, tried to attack him for supporting an illegal blockade. And the crowd, rather than booing at Pierre Polyev for literally being, bringing donuts, furnishing insurgents, they cru- they, the crowd booed Charest instead for having the gall to defend law and order in Canada. The, 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 the Conservative Party of Canada, the Law and Order Party, booed the candidate who's trying to stand for law and order. Yep. Remarkable. It's, <laughs> a remarkable it's ship. So the, the, the thing that, that most worries me about the development as well in the United States with uh, uh, you know abortion rights access turning over, it seems like there is a conservative movement that has just sort of gone off the rails a little bit. They're no longer being held to their own decency as they, as they used to before. And... Uh, you know, when, when you see a, a, a crowd that's just so willing to go along with uh, um, Pierre Polyev feeding them this disgusting red meat about, oh, uh, you know, that average trucker in the, in the convoy protester had, had, had better uh, uh, ethics in his pinky than Charest had in his whole cabinet. <laughs> when they're willing to go along with that, it, it, it makes me seriously doubt that you know, these guys have any limits whatsoever. And, you know, it, as I said in the last episode, I, I think we're moving from a, in the progressive movement from a, a distaste of the conservatives, a dislike to the conservative, to a genuine fear of what these guys would do if they have power. And uh, that's, that's disturbing, and I think that's what we need to talk about today is, uh, you know, these, these um, men and one woman that are planning on leading the Conservative Party, what do they actually want to do when they um, take office? And would we be able to recognize a Canada that they want to lead? 
Would we be able to recognize it? No, <laughs> frankly. And, you know, I'd like to open my take on your take with uh, a bit from the 1976 movie, The Enforcer. It's a Dirty Harry movie starring Clint Eastwood. And there's a scene where the, the police department that Harry Callahan works for uh, has arrested a suspect. They know the suspect didn't do the crime and that the killer is probably still at large. Or they don't really believe that the killer is still at large. And Dirty Harry tells them, like, no, the suspect you arrested, like, I made a deal with this guy. Like, he was going to help me find the killer. You guys are being idiots. And they're about to have a press conference and, like, tell the media how great they are and stuff. <laughs> and, he, and, and Dirty Harry says, Captain, if you want to jerk all these people off, you can. But don't do it with me. And he storms off. And, uh, Captain McKay calls after him and he says, that's it, Callahan. You just got yourself a 60 day suspension. And he's like, make it 90, 180. Give me your star. So he takes his badge. That's a seven point suppository, Captain. What did you say? I said, stick it in your ass. (laughs) And then the mayor's like, well, guess I'm just going to go down and jerk these people off. And then he walks down the steps. (laughs) To the press conference. And the reason I bring that up is Pierre Polyev went out tonight and jerked those people off. And I know that that's, you know, okay, lewd reference, but that's what he did. He went out there, as Jacob was saying, with beef jerky in his hands. He, oh, you want convoy stuff? You want you want me defending the truckers? Yeah, yeah. Here you go. Throws, there there goes a pepperette into the crowd. And then he says, oh, you want me to mention Huawei? Okay, throws another pepperette in the crowd. And, like, I hate to say it, but he's doing exactly what that audience wants. And I don't, I'm not sure to what extent that rep- represents the conservative base, but I have a, a, a pretty good feeling that it does, uh, based on the popularity Polyev has in the conservative race right now. He is by far, by tens of percent, uh, dozens and dozens uh, of percent ahead of his opponents right now. I think he's like 30 points ahead mm-hmm. or something right now. I'd have to check. Um, but last I saw, he was pulling like 41% and everybody else is like kind of languishing way below that. And so he's, he's leading. And so he was, he was hitting all the buttons, all the feel good buttons that the crowd loves. Any association with China is a hard negative. Sheree worked for, uh, for Huawei through, through his law firm, uh, McCarthy Tetro. And, um, he, so he worked with China <laughs> thereby and Polyev brings up Huawei. Everybody loves that. Um, Jean Chrétien, or Jean Chrétien, Jesus Christ, <laughs> wrong Jean, Jean Charest, uh brings up um, the, the fact that the convoy was illegal, it was an illegal blo- blockade, and Pierre Polyev went on TV in February 2020 and said a very similar thing on CBC's Power and Politics, talking about not that blockade, but the indigenous blockade, the Watsud in uh, solidarity protests. And Jean Charest said, this is an illegal blockade. You are advocating for something that is illegal. And the crowd, as Jacob says, boos him for bringing that up. They want to be the law and order party, um, but it seems like there isn't a place for somebody who, um, you know, it's one thing that he worked for Huawei. Like, that's definitely a blemish on his record for sure. But, um, like, you know, he's a more socially conservative, sorry, more socially liberal-minded guy than a lot of the guys in that party. And he has a record of, of fiscal conservatism for the most part. Uh, it's just, it's more so that he's more socially liberal and would have, would have a serious climate policy and that is threatening to them. He doesn't, so the, uh, Polyev is very quick to frame him as not of their ilk, not a conservative, even though he was for decades. 
uh, and he was a rising star in the Mulroney cabinet, but that was a long time ago. So he's viewed as a, as a um, sort of a holdover from a bygone era, almost an anachronism. And, uh, so then you've got Leslie Lewis on the right flank of Polyev, and we forget, like, a lot of people are focused on, like, oh, here's Polyev, you know, whipping the living poop out of Jean Charest and, and punching the pulp out of Patrick Brown when he's not there, as, as did everybody else, but you, you get the point. There are similar sides of the party. And then on the right flank, you forget that Polyev now has to worry about not only Max Bernier, he recently said that he wants Max Maxime Bernier of the People's Party listeners uh, to... Uh, uh, explain why he he is mentioned on the the World Economic Forum website and why he went to it. Why he took a 2008 trip to the to the Davos summit uh, and trying blah, to blah, attack blah. Trying, trying to, to attack, attack Max Bernier on the uh, from the right exactly <laughs> going and then, further right and, than the far right and then and then uh, so not only Max Bernier but like also Leslie Lewis was like like saw an opportunity and was like okay I see the game you're playing you're trying to have it both ways here. You will not even say you're pro-life, buddy. And then, of course, all the that that that's a good line for people who are more social, more socially conservative. They all go, what? And so you know. And then so Polyev was on the defensive there, like briefly, like in the only one. But the only one, it was very notable. The only one who could put him on the defensive was Leslie Lewis, and she is pro-life, and she claims that oh, like we're not gonna buy, you know, we're not gonna like totally restrict abortion access. That's ridiculous. But then like gets into a number of types of abortions that are wrong, and most of them. Have no most of her points have no standing in 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 sensibility, uh, and everybody knows that women have a uh, a right a section seven right to abortion, but the court doesn't see it that way. So currently, abortion is very vulnerable. The thing is with R. V. Morgenthaler, uh, there was no mention in R. V. Morgenthaler the law that allowed for abortion access in Canada. There's no mention in, in there that it was a section seven right for a woman to get an abortion. That wasn't how the law actually came down. That said, there's been a lot of jurisprudence, decades of jurisprudence in this country. Like, if, if there was a law put in place uh, to protect abortion rights, let's say, and it was challenged in court, uh, and it got in front of a judge, there's a lot of jurisprudence that would support uh, the fact that it, women do have a Section 7 right to uh, abortion. There's That that would, that would likely be the result. Is it or, would enshrine it as a right? Ab- abortion, it, legalizing abortion would be contrary to their Section 7 rights. Other way around. No, no, I'm saying there's no, no, I'm, I'm saying that no, 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 there's, there's actually, there's a lot of jurisprudence in Canada that, um, that backs up the fact that abortion, like that, that access to abortion is, is a section seven, right. And that currently hasn't been enshrined. It's just the reason I'm saying there's jurisprudence that would support that is because the subsequent, uh, legal challenges on abortion have rested quite heavily on section seven. So it's very likely that if a law, like if if an, if a law supporting abortion rights, like trying to protect abortion rights, uh, was passed by parliament, and then say a social conservative challenged it in court, today, right now, mm-hmm. the court would probably say no, 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 women do have a section seven right to this. I think that's what would happen. However, the danger is, if a guy like Polyev, who is worried about not only his left but his right flank, uh, decides to dance with somebody who is pro-life, like Leslie Lewis. Uh, it could be an extremely dangerous, dangerous outcome for the country. We, as we've seen, the Republicans will stop at nothing in, in the U.S. to uh, pack the court with all of their cronies who are going to, to dismantle the freedoms uh, and rights of marginalized people and of just normal everyday Americans, frankly. Uh, and I know you can already you can I know you're already going to say, listeners, that we're not America. We're great. We're Canada, blah, blah, blah. 
And yeah, sure, we're not America. You're right. But it's just as vulnerable because like Roe versus Wade in the U.S., we only have R.V. Morgenthaler, and that makes it vulnerable. And it also makes it vulnerable when you have conservative politicians that get into power. This is a tired liberal government. A lot of people go from red to blue. When you, when you get those people into power that are worried about not only their left but their right flank, there's always going to be something. There's like if maybe he won't come right and say that he's he's pro-choice or pro-life or whatever, you know. But maybe he'll allow continue to allow free votes, or maybe he'll go even further than that because it seems gradually his base wants the the part the conservative base wants the party to go further and further to the right. So I, I would not be shocked if eventually he was coerced by somebody to do something about abortion, and that's why I think we should be preempting this when it's not an obvious threat and not waiting till it is a threat and being reactive we should be proactive and if there's a reason why we should be afraid of uh the situation in the united states is because it's very clear that uh not just these conservative candidates for leadership but also the conservative voters in general are getting a larger and larger portion of their news media from the united states particularly from fox news and um, all of the social media hits that, that basically repackage um, Fox News clips um, yeah. on Facebook. Yeah. Um, and if you, if you want to hear evidence of that, all you need to see is the way that uh, uh, Roman uh, Bobber uh, talked about uh, the CBC. He said it is the equivalent of Pravda. Now, now Pravda was um, the official mouthpiece of the Communist Party uh, in the Soviet Union, um, uh, or even before the Soviet Union began, Pravda was the uh, uh, the mouthpiece of the, of the of the old Bolsheviks during the Russian Revolution. So that is like literally a, a propaganda outfit. He's essentially accusing the, the the CBC of publishing liberal propaganda, which you know, if the CBC was publishing liberal propaganda, I think myself as a liberal would find it much more enjoyable to be uh, reading the CBC than I, I currently do. <laughs> I, I, I go there to be informed. I don't go there to jerk myself off because I know that I'm going, to see, I'm going to see stuff there that uh, weighs both sides on many issues where I think there really is only one side, but they're still trying to do traditional journalism. Then they're trying to do it. It's very difficult to be a national broadcaster in such a polarized uh, world. They're dangling on a knife's edge all the time. But dear God, CBC is not trying to undergo some left-wing transformation of this country. Like very far from it. The, the what CBC is trying to do is give more positions for journalists of color, give more uh, voices right. to uh, LGBT people. They're trying to increase representation from different perspectives. And in the conservative mindset, uh, the presence of non-white. Uh, non-cisgender um, and non-heteronormative people is left-wing propaganda. It's threatening. Reminding, reminding the, the public that, that non-white, uh, non-male people, non-heteronormative people exist is a threat. Um, yeah. it, or it's inherently political in, in their mm. uh, Their existence is view. political. Yeah, like exactly. The existence of trans people is political to conservatives, for example. And and so this is this is sort of the the problem is that even if you um, you know e even if um, conservatives uh, are not fully in uh, the um, are are not fully bought into all the conspiracy theories that are that are floating around in their uh, in in the right wing, um, because they're no longer 
consuming mainstream media because they're they're demonizing mainstream media they can fall farther and farther down the rabbit hole and this is sort of where we need to start um um pulling them back in i have I, I truly have no idea how to to do this. Like it's, yeah. I'm actually getting a little bit disturbed. I was hoping that that Jean Charest would try by, and this is what I said in the very first episode of the podcast. I think Charest needs to a, attempt making a a populist argument, but using uh, more mainstream ideas. I think do you know he's who's doing sort that? of yes, who's doing that with no with no not as much charisma as Charest would, but Scott Aitchison is doing that. Mm. But I'll talk about that after. Sorry. No, ahead. and I actually sort of – no, no, I, I totally agree with you about Scott Aitchison. Like he seems to have the he, – he has the appeal, the, the, the fire of a, a Trumpy sort of guy. He looks like a Trumpy sort of guy, but then <laughs> when he actually talks, he says things that I, I can I can agree with most I'm of like the time. I'm like nodding along. I'm like, oh. Yeah. And, and like people have joked that he's – I think people have joked that he's the liberal's favorite candidate or something like that. Or No, sorry, Jean Charest was yeah, the he's like that, the He's like the Michael Chong of this uh, yeah. election cycle. Yeah, that's yeah. very true. So he'll be, a, he'll be a niche candidate and he'll probably factor into the negotiation somewhere, but he'll be a niche candidate. So, which is a shame because he's he wants to end supply management and and I, I I you know there's quite a sensible rationale to do that um in some ways and uh, you know but that's a that's a hot button issue that no one wants to remove because of the dairy lobby it's so it's so powerful and they've been artificially in, inflating the price of milk in Canada for years not a lot of people know yeah, that by true. the way this is a fact uh, and that we pay way more than the United States does for the same quality of milk. Um, there's a lack of competition, uh, I would say like, yeah, sure. There's different brands out there, but they're, they're all, it's all the dairy farmers of Canada. Like it's all, it's, it's all, um, that's what supply management is. It, 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 there's an artificial requirement all the time for, uh, for milk that, that, and, and then you pay you, uh, or sorry, it artificially regulates the supply of the product and then, uh, you, you pay a premium. And that's and, why you need to get organized and vote in a group voters because when you're like dairy farmers when you organize when you're a collective that's very well regionally concentrated you can literally like milk the system for all it's worth pun intended that is and listen, that's, I'm not, that's not, all I'm it not is people what, i'm not mocking what dairy farmers do but i mean like it's yeah the costs are getting passed on the, onto the oh, consumer it's, no, no, like that's absolutely like it's, it's horrible for everyone else but oh my god those guys make bank so like i have an issue with that and 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 I think a lot of conservative-minded people do. I'm not a conservative-minded guy, but I think there are cons- fiscally conservative people that would look and go, well, that's a subsidy, like yeah. n- normally. Uh, and the only one that I think has the, the, the balls to say it, I think in part because he's not really a factor, is Scott Aitchison. Yeah. And he has other sensible, he's been saying other sensible things. You know, he was on stage saying, please, won't someone think of the children? Why are mommy and daddy fighting? Uh, you know, he because he knows to the like to the base the base loves it, but he knows those clips will play on, on some news programs and people are going to be like, what the fuck is this? Like he knows how that this, this turns off a lot of the voters in Ontario that the conservatives need to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, I'm not saying that Polyev can't woo them cause he's, he's proven to be quite effective at, at focusing on ideas that test well with large swaths of the population. I think that's key. Uh, for him, I'm not saying he couldn't win, but he doesn't do himself any favors when when clips like that of him play like that are so red meat. I don't think he does himself any favors. Like a lot of that is going to be fodder. There's going to be so much fodder for uh, for liberal campaign ads down the road. No, I I think that the conservative strategy is is purely a base play at this point, and the um, yeah. I, I think that Pierre Polyev probably doesn't feel much 
fear that uh, the liberals are going to be taking what he is saying to his base and broadcasting it to the um, the rest of the population. It seems that that, that to me, Pierre Polyev is, is all in on a turnout strategy where uh, he thinks that uh, the, the progressive turnout is going to be depressed because it's just a tired old government that yeah. hasn't changed his tune. Liberals will stay And home, he can kind of drum up his base as much as possible, get them out to the polls. And, you know, so long as they're making money hand over fist, they can pay... Uh, they can pay lots of people to organize their um, oh their drivers. They can them. pay drivers to drive like yeah. big, you know, small buses around well, to bus uh, voters and the bus voters to the polls. And the PCs in Ontario, Liam, the PCs in Ontario in this election are actually paying guys like us that to, to, to go around door knocking. Like it, like in 2015 when when you and I worked on the on the Liberal campaign, went out door knocking. You know, if we had done that for the uh, the PC campaign in this time around, we would have been paid for doing that. Damn, uh, that's very yeah. uh, no, very progressive of them. <laughs> I know exactly, but what it is is smart of them. It 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 allows them to mobilize the resources much more efficiently. It yeah. it just increases the numbers of of door knockers. It makes them more professionalized. Yeah. It it essentially and when you live in a in a media environment that is so polarized, um, you don't really need to worry about your voters receiving the negative messages of your opponents. You just need to worry about getting your voters out, essentially. Like the, I don't really blame Pierre Polyev for having this strategy because, as I said at the beginning of the program, uh, the the conservative voters have become so cut off from mainstream um, media. The the liberals can can say whatever they want on that platform. Not a conservative in the world is going to hear it. They're not listening to a word yeah. that comes out of out of Trudeau's mouth, and they're certainly not getting. Uh, the ads that the, the liberals are, are, are putting out. Um, and so it really just becomes a race of, of who is more organized. The liberals clearly have very good um, uh, vote identification strategy. They're, they're, they're very good at finding the particular ridings where they can tip their voters just over the edge and, and, and win by, by just a few handful of votes here and there. That's, of course, why they didn't want to uh, change the electoral system. But the, the, everyone, everyone agrees the conservatives are much better at raising money and much better at organizing their volunteers and, and getting out mass votes. And, and we can see that like they, they absolutely capture uh, huge sections of the, of the vote in, in Alberta, Saskatchewan, their bases, wasted votes. But if that blue wave moves a little bit farther to the east, uh, the liberals are in huge trouble. And their patchwork strategy of you know picking up ridings here and there is going to get crushed, absolutely crushed by a blue wave. If once the, their voting coalition fails, yes, absolutely, yeah. Once that once their voting coalition fails, absolutely. And I I mean I want to touch on one thing you said. Like I think that yes, the conservatives have always had a larger, mostly from from most of ten, Trudeau's tenure, have had a larger war chest. Uh, mm-hmm. There were occasional times where the liberals would take the lead, but mostly the conservatives have dominated fundraising. The conservatives yeah. issue actually is getting out the vote traditionally. I know the PCs have a good game now in in uh, Ontario. Hopefully, the conservatives try to replicate that federally if they want any chance. Because it, actually, the big threat is the liberals get out the vote machine, uh, and they have a as of now a dependable voter coalition. I think that will eventually disintegrate, so they can't rely on that forever. But in the past few elections, they've known they've had a dependable. Uh, voter coalition based on data and then they mobilize volunteers on that basis but I think they were right that they'd have better uh, motivation and professionalism if they paid them and it'd be more progressive of them to pay them for their time and all of that stuff and uh, so there's pros and cons to it but um, the liberals get out the vote machine is actually actually quite 
devastating and the conservatives are catching up like it's finally getting close again but the conservatives took quite a while to get even competitive because they were still doing phone calls and stuff they had no digital infrastructure they i mean they did but it wasn't on the level the liberals were at they weren't working with data tranches like the liberals are working with and so the conservatives there's a lot the tories have to improve honestly to to like but like what i do agree with that you said is that the conservatives have a dependable voter base they always get a solid 30 percent mm-hmm. in large part due to the west the overwhelming blue support in the west of canada and uh i think they're trying i think the ideal conservative government for most of the candidates that are running is as western based as it could possibly be and then they're hoping they can scrape enough seats uh in conservative ontario i think polyev is hoping he can scrape enough seats in ontario in conservative and centrist ontario that he can cobble together a, a coalition of some sort like not literally a coalition but like a voting coalition uh and i think not that they want to be purely based in the west like obviously obviously they want to get the gta back they know that you need to win an election in the gta but i i i question i i honestly do question like how much they th- they think that they're the current strategies that they're employing tonight on stage that they they did employ rather how how that's going to fly with voters in the in the GTA that aren't red meat voters that maybe they're like waffling between the liberals and conservatives and they see the stuff they said that that we talk about tonight and the roll their eyes or maybe they don't see it at all you know who knows it depends where they get their news from but uh the reality is is conservative voters skew more male and skew you know increasingly more male and increasingly older and so older guys tend to watch the news. Younger guys tend to watch Jordan Peterson on Facebook. And so both are going to mention the conservatives somehow, somewhere. There's going to be some linkage, but the perceptions will be very different. Like Polyev has been very good at reaching a lot of the Jordan Peterson bros who like normally may not have thought about the conservative party seriously and like, or maybe didn't even vote. And like now they're going to, to vote for him. Uh, and so he's trying to add those people to those co- to his coalition uh, and he's also trying to dance with some of Maxine Bernier's people by by sounding the alarm about uh, World Economic Forum, even though he knows in his heart of hearts that they're not a threat to really anybody at all. Um, I mean, what they do do is that maybe they host a few billionaires that, you know, like probably are more, you know, they had Jeff Bezos there a few times and like he's pretty reprehensible. But, you know, the, the qualms that, that the conspiracy theorists have with the, the WEF is it's just it's crazy. And so Polyev is also winking at that. So with that and kind of, uh, you know, appealing to the Jordan Peterson anti-cancel culture people, uh, I, I don't know how some centrist people in, in Ontario are going to look. To that i'm not going to say that it won't happen because again a lot of people thought harper wouldn't win and he, he won a majority eventually and he won three elections but i don't know i just have my doubts about how anybody but maybe sheree brown or Aitchison would be able to actually like have a shot at governing at assembling a good governing coalition what are your thoughts on that yeah well i th- i think the important thing to to always note is that we are living in a political culture where a huge number of people are not particularly active or interested in the mainstream conversation. The, in fact, a lot of this is a, actually a product of increasing polarization. The more extreme left and right voices have begun, the more the people in the middle are, are, are turning off and tuning out. And because there is such a huge mass of people that uh, no longer feel particularly represented or interested in the political conversation, there's sort of this this uh, 
this black hole that can at any time suck the political conversation into a completely new dimension. And the most obvious iteration of this was uh, with Donald Trump's sudden uh, uh, turn onto the stage of American political politics, where, yeah. you know, if, if the American uh, political coalitions had remained exactly the same year over year, there would have been no chance that, that Donald Trump could ever have possibly won. What he did was bring a whole bunch of non-college educated white voters who had never voted in their lives onto the political scene. There's all these people that they don't respond to polls, they don't vote, they don't listen to mainstream media, they're just not incorporated in our mainstream conversation at all. So we know they knew nothing about them, we didn't even know they existed, and then boom, 2016, now everybody knows they exist. And they appear for the first time and overwhelmingly uh, vote in his direction. There is a smaller number of those voters in Canada, but they're real. And the yeah. more and in Canada, in fact, because we are a more racially diverse country, I I think probably it wouldn't end up being a uh, white non-college educated section. I think a, a lot of the people that uh, particularly um, Brown is trying to bring in um, first and second generation. Um, uh, Canadians, I have a strong feeling there's probably a lot of people in that demographic as well that are traditionally turned off by politics or not particularly involved in, in the political conversation that can be roped in. And the Conservatives have been trying to do that for a long, long time. And there's good reason to do that, like uh, uh, immigrant communities, particularly if we're talking about South Asian immigrant or, or uh, Chinese immigrants, they're much more socially conservative than the nation as a whole. And even though they're mostly uh, on average. Yeah. Oh yeah. On, on average. And they're uh, a lot of them end up voting for the liberals, but it's a very uncomfortable, uh, uh, voting coalition for them. The liberals do not share. They do not really share a lot of the values, particularly if you're thinking of Chinese immigrants where they tend up being people that are like fleeing communism and they want to be more pro business. There's and really, really anti drug. Uh, like there's a, there's definitely, uh, and it, but but also we know uh, that's a segment of the population that traditionally doesn't vote as often as uh, as white people in Canada. So if you're talking about a vote-rich segment of the population that we just don't know very much about, there are lots of different communities that a uh, someone a, a, a non-racist person in the conservative party that wants to reach out to different people and is willing to have those conversations. They will find those people. Uh, and if they can find a message that can bring those people in, that can keep the, 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 the angry white voters, they have a shot at a huge majority government that we just can't possibly imagine right now. Like when, we, when you only have 60% of the population regularly voting in elections, that means there's 40% out there to take and there's 40% we just don't know very much about. That's the thing that scares me. That there's new people that are that could be potentially brought in, and that could just completely shift uh, the political the conversation in Canada. And yeah. I think we were Stephen Harper. We were, I don't want to say we were lucky to have Stephen Harper as prime minister. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, we were lucky in the sense that Stephen Harper was very, very careful in that he had an iron. He ruled his caucus with an iron fist, and he told the social conservatives, "I don't want to hear a peep out of you. You can." Put forward your little private members' bills. No one gives a shit, but I don't want to hear a peep. Mm -hmm. You know, he was like hardcore from the beginning, and and like he would, uh, you know, 
put forward whatever issues you want. We'll have a free vote on most matters of conscience. But come on, like you're sabotaging us here because in the 2004 campaign, I think someone made a dumb comment. I can't remember what it was. There was like, there was a 2004 candidate that made a dumb comment and it, it hurt Stephen Harper in the polls, and so he learned his lesson. Um, but I mean, like, so we didn't see, what I'm trying to say is we didn't see a widespread, like people panicked, right? They wrote books like the blue shift or whatever. Like there was John Ibbotson's mm-hmm. book, Ibbotson's book and Paul Wells book, the longer I'm prime minister. And, uh, you know, about Stephen Harper. And he, I think eventually he would have gotten more right wing. Like he showed signs of that in his last mandate, particularly in the final election he fought. Uh, yeah. and I think he would have eventually moved with that trend, but he knew at, even in 2006, which was a less progressive time than now is he knew even then that he had to be so damn careful and i i think i think the only i think the the only there are two ways there are two ways that polyev or anyone who doesn't want to behave like a charade or a brown can pull this off one of the ways is doing what leslie lewis polyev and brown are trying to do in different different ways recruit demographics uh slices of the population that don't generally vote as much or maybe at all, depending on the slice. Like Pierre Polyev's piece is the, the some of the Bernier folks, but more so the Jordan Peterson bros. Uh, and Leslie Lewis is, is going to more conservative churches and recruiting members there. And Brown is doing a, a outreach with some of the more diverse communities in Canada. And so it's 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 three different strategies. And they, so like that's one way that you can kind of do, and that paid off for the conservatives in 2011 and to some extent in 2015, Jason Kenney, was, was good at that actually. And, and that was one of his, his skills at the time when he was a, a minister under the Harper government. And, uh, so that's one way you can pull it off. The second way you can pull it off is liberals stay home. Uh, and the vote just completely collapses because Trudeau tries to run again and nobody wants to hear from him open his mouth. Uh, or it's a, li- a new liberal leader that isn't compelling enough. So maybe like maybe 25% kind of vote for the liberals and then a bunch go to jug meat and they're like, nah, I'd rather vote shoot for jug meat or whoever's there then because it's in three years. God knows what's going to happen. Uh, and uh, whoever the Tory leader is could just win purely by kind of a war of attrition where they just yeah. kind of squeak over the line at the end. Um, but it these are not implausible scenarios, you know, like they don't necessarily need a lot of the GTA. They need maybe like three quarters of the GTA or, or some, or maybe even like two thirds of the GTA. Then they need to keep their strength in the West, pick up in BC a bit, maybe an in interior BC, uh, really just maintain what they have. Um, you know, maybe get a few seats back in rural Atlantic areas, uh, and, and try to do a little bit better in Quebec City than they did last time and, and their kind of choice rural Quebec spots. Now, I do think, I have heard, like, D- David Aiken was musing that, and I don't know how true this is or if this is plausible, that a lot of the Quebec caucus is going to be very unhappy if Pierre Polyev wins, uh, and the current Quebec caucus. It doesn't mean that Polyev couldn't recruit people in Quebec that oh, support no, him. Oh, no, 12 people are angry. But uh, but I don't want to say, oh, 12, like, 12 people are angry. Like, 12 people on their own doesn't do much. It doesn't seem, seem significant on its face. But what I'm saying is, is a lot of the, that includes a lot of the people who did the outreach work for previous conservative leaders that would be unhappy. And so I, I think what I'm saying is that would affect their ground game in Quebec. Like they they worked really hard on getting the gains they do in rural Quebec that they that they pulled off in rural Quebec, and they succeeded to some extent to pull a, you know a few seats here and there, and it could help them on a path to victory. But they will lose that if Polyev doesn't find a, a replacement. I think 
like a suitable yeah. replacement. I think that I think that would put at least put their ground game in Quebec come in question. I know that they don't rely on Quebec, but I know that making an impression on Quebec is is important to them to some extent. It was a key piece of 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 CPC strategy since 2000 2006 really but it paid off really well in 2015 i don't know so. i think that the i think the quebec thing it it strikes me a little bit of like the republicans in the united states that every election they say oh we need to reach out to uh, latino voters we need to reach out to to non-white voters and every election after that they always go back they double down on, on white people only and sometimes <laughs> it, it works for them like the <laughs> the conservatives known for a long time that they don't do well in quebec they they never really work no. really hard on on finding people that can even bother to speak french very well i mean pierre Poliev is is probably the the biggest exception they've had for a long time um but uh, they I had a few know. successes I, with star I, I, candidates. They had Richard Martel in Chicoutimi, or, or sorry, I should mm-hmm. say Richard Martel um, in Chicoutimi, and he was a, a, a famous like hockey coach that the yeah. area knew, and he was well respected, obviously fluently uh, French. Uh, and so they had him, and they had um, who else did they get? Uh, Sylvie, she's an ex ex Olympian, Sylvie Boucher. Sylvie Boucher can't remember yeah. no i know i know the but you know what i'm talking about so they've, gotten, they've managed they, they've managed to get better at recruiting star candidates in certain areas but you're i'm not saying they'll ever do well in montreal don't think for a second i'm saying no. that montreal cares about and they them. don't deserve to do well in montreal they don't bother to, they should they don't deserve to do well in any city center i don't know who votes for them in, in these but what's in but cities. what's interesting like is but them. what's interesting jacob is i think that i mean they play a tricky game right because there's a lot there's a lot of people in their base who really don't like uh quebec yeah, uh, because they feel like Quebec's getting a better deal than them or whatever, um, and there's a lot of anti-Quebec feeling, and I think, I mean, may, I I think that some areas of the Quebec caucus in the Conservatives have been working very very hard to be in Francois Legault's good graces, and the thing about Francois Legault is his his coalition uh, coalition uh, Avenir Quebec, Quebec or whatever it is is CAC yep. government. Uh, the the CAC government is doing well in Montreal, has done well mm-hmm. in Montreal, uh, and he's poised to, I think, perhaps exceed that result <laughs> in the next election because he's so ridiculously popular right now. Uh, he he will be the dominant party in Montreal, and I'm not saying that the Conservatives, ha- you know, that that's likely the Conservatives will, but I think there's people in the party that are are like caciest provincially who are part of the Conservative Party. Uh, in the caucus, and they're trying to build that relationship with Francois Legault. And I know Francois Legault said, "Go vote conservative," and no one listened to him. Like I'm not no. saying that everybody listens to what Papa Legault says. What I'm saying is that the conservatives could connect with some of the people in the CAC who know how to run a, g- a ground game in Quebec, in uh, Montreal. Sorry, who know how to get who know how to get more of those seats. And I and I don't I think that not that guys like Polyev even care about getting Montreal, but like. I feel like somebody like Jean Charest would want to would run a really good ground game in parts of Montreal. Uh, I feel like Pierre Polyev won't, and I'm not saying that matters. I'm and I'm not saying it's a they he needs Montreal on his path to victory. I'm just saying they've long had ambitions to do better in Quebec, and it seems like that's going to die with the next leader. No, but and I I think the reason why the CAC is going to do way better in Montreal and in, and in Quebec in general than the Conservatives ever can be is that. In order to actually uh, get those voters in Quebec, I think you almost necessarily must lose voters in the West because you'd have to go more on on green technology. You'd have to go more on your environmental messaging to get Quebec voters. The CAC is yeah. willing to go there. 
yeah, that's the Achilles be, heel of the conservatives. You have to be more willing to talk about abortion rights. Like that's the. It's not a surprise that when uh, you know the Roe versus Wade is being discussed as being overturned, the the Bloc Québécois was the first party to uh, make hay of it in the Canadian Parliament. They tried to push forward a unanimous consent motion, um, and some anonymous, uh, we're going to guess, conservative MPs squashed that in Parliament. Um, basically, the, the, the Bloc Québécois tried to put forward a, a motion that would reaffirm um, uh, the Canadian Parliament's um, the, the Canadian Parliament's commitment to uh, guarantee uh, a woman's access to abortion in Canada, but it's a, it was a unanimous consent motion, which means that every single member of the Parliament has to um, either abstain or vote for the motion order for the pass. Mm -hmm. Someone, at least one person, but it's the way it was reported, seems to have been more than one person voted against this. So we, we know it's certainly not, not unanimous. Now, why does the Bloc Québécois want to do this? Because even in rural Quebec... Uh, you know, people are so afraid of religious influence, of uh, religious moral politics, that they do not want uh, the encroachment of social conservative values uh, in their lives. And like uh, abortion rights is probably the most prominent example of that happening. The conservatives cannot afford to really openly shift their position on that though without necessarily losing uh, a lot of their support in the west now to be honest i think they probably can afford to lose their support in the west and still win those seats the problem is it is not really about losing seats in the west i think they're more worried about losing money in the west but losing donors in the west that it's mm. that you know they don't I don't think at this point they don't care about social conservative votes. Like who else are the socially conservative people going to vote for? The campaign cult, like, like the the Christian Heritage Party, like whatever. <laughs> like it's not going to happen. Yeah, like exactly. there's, there's just there, there's there's nobody to compete with Maxime Bernier, I, I guess. But he's he's only going to win at most a handful of seats. Of all the social conservatives, uh, shift them in in the uh, in the West. But the SoCons are willing to open up their pocketbook every time they're, they're tossed red meat. And the conservatives have gotten really, really good at that. In fact, they're oh, yeah. addicted to that fast money machine of tweeting out some nasty thing about the, about the liberals, and they make a whole bunch of money back from the social conservatives. Fundraising. They can't, they can't change that. And, you know, as important as we continually talk about, like, and – you know, Chantelle Bear, whenever she's on uh, any podcast, she's like, what about Quebec? Remember Quebec? Like, I'm sorry, but, you know, Quebec has lots of seats. It does not have the money uh, for uh, the Conservative Party. Well, and I don't know. I don't know if, if, if for a second I was implying that Chantal Bear would, would say that the Conservatives have a shot in hell in Quebec. No, that's not what I'm suggesting. Just like, I, but I'm I know what you're suggesting. That every time, like every time she brings it up, and I'm, and this is, I always roll my, 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 I roll my eyes because I, I, I think like, you know, uh, I don't think Quebec is, is, is very important to the, to the conservatives anymore. At least they're not willing to treat it as like it's important. Well, not they since saw Mulroney, like no. in, in 2011, Harper could win a majority without basically any seats in Quebec. I think he only had like five seats in Quebec. It was a narrow victory. It was not a great strategy. But that's what I was going to say. It. Like it's only because the liberal vote collapsed and people were yeah. too scared in Ontario to vote orange. No, but if 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 the West and and Quebec are mutually exclusive, you got to you got to work on what you have and you make it battleground Ontario. 
it's possible. And you can get a few seats out of Atlantic Canada as well. Yep, they sure. have a, they have a path to victory. I think that the I think the conservatives are are correct in focusing on the on their Western voters and, and sort of giving up on Quebec because I do think they're going I don't to know, man. I, think... I would say that they lose their their advantage by focusing on Quebec, and that's why I think Charest's candidacy from the very beginning was uh, so vulnerable because he's he's focusing on areas that the that the party I personally don't believe it can afford to pursue. Here's the here's the difference though. I think between like say the federal conservative party and the UCP, I mean the UCP benefits from, or sorry, uh, well, no, sorry. The U, the UCP takes a hit in the fact that they have to deal with separatist parties on their right flank and they have to deal with the NDP. Um, mm-hmm. but the, the conservative party doesn't, is kind of in a unique scenario where at least at the moment, even though there is a, a fledgling separatist party at the federal level, and it probably will gain a, at least a minimal level of support in, in the West, uh, the conservatives are in a unique position in history right now where they have essentially a monopoly on the West, all the yeah. seats in the West. And I'm not saying the conservatives don't need to make the the Western voters happy. They can't differ from all the principles that Western voters want them to adhere to. But to say that you can't appease Western voters while also appeasing Quebecers, I think is a false. I, I think that's that. I don't think that's quite true. I'm not saying that like you, you have to give Quebec. You know, I'm not saying that you have to, to give Francois Legault everything he wants and then turn around to Alberta and say, don't worry, I love you too, sweetie. Like, I'm not saying that kind of approach. I'm just saying there's probably things that you could accomplish for Quebec that would win you good graces in Quebec without giving Francois Legault everything he wants. I think I think, I think it's pretty easy for you to kind of... you, you could There's ways you could thread the needle. So you could go, okay, Quebec, here's some promises of yours I'm going to meet. But also, I'm going to adjust the equalization formula so uh, Alberta stops getting dicked. They should be keeping more of their wealth. They contribute a lot. You know, like maybe you could do that. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like there's so like Alberta voters would go, oh, and like maybe they'd be a little cheese that Quebec is getting funding for a new whatever, a shipyard or whatever the hell it is. Um, but then, oh, great. We're getting we're having to give up less equalization and we're, um, you know, X, Y, Z. And maybe you could offer another red meat like, hey, we'll build this pipeline. I don't want to build pipelines. I'm just thinking of things that could. Uh, appease voters you know and you you know that because of canada's regulatory barriers it's probably never going to get built so you can say we'll build it and then it never gets built but then you deal with that down the road kind of thing yeah and, but if you say we're going to build it you, you lose votes in quebec necessarily uh oh so oh i'm sorry that's like a good point about be, pipelines like, right no 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 no, no, no sorry the scratch yeah. scratch the pipeline scratch the pipeline thing but i think without without the pipeline thing i think that's a very uh, bulletproof approach if you were if if you were if you genuinely cared about not just like I think I think they're over. What I'm trying to say is I think they're over reliant on their Western base. But that's a good point about the pipeline. You're right. That's a very volatile or sorry, very uh, hated file in Quebec. They are not fans of pipelines at all. Yeah. Um, See, the, so the, they couldn't do that. But I think everything else, everything else I said, I think I think somebody who is a, a policy expert that knows what the situation on the ground is like in Quebec and Alberta. I think the, there, there's a way you could throw the needle, the needle. And I don't think honestly that conservatives have tried since the Mulroney days to thread the needle. Yeah. Now the, the, the fundamental issue uh, I, I think here is that um, Quebecois culture is a little too strong and a little too separated from uh, Engl- the, the Anglosphere for conservatives, particularly a more right-leaning, more conspiratorial no, that's brand not, of that's not true, man. Through. That's not no, true. No, it's not because at the provincial level. No, it's not. At the provincial level, the Quebec Conservative Party now, 
that, is soaring oh, yeah, in the no, polls. Like it's at almost 30%. They're conspiratorial as hell. They're on hate they're radio. They're different conspiracy theories. They're different they're conspiracy not, they're, theories. They're not, though. They have the same are, conspiracy though. theories about, because of globalization, uh, like maybe they speak a different language, but because of globalization, a lot of North American conspiracy theorists believe in the same conspiracy theories. It's not just English Canada that's it's, getting them imported from the U.S. There's a great number coming in from France, for sure, because of the French yeah. language, but they're getting a lot of the American ones on 4chan, and you forget as well that the younger generation in Quebec fluently speaks English, so they get a lot, a lot of English propaganda as well, coming from where? Where is it? U.S. right wing circles or Russia? I think your argument's a little. It's a little flawed well, there. I don't think they're that different. But here's the here's the difference. In, like in Canada, you have, uh, in, in, or in the in the in the ROC in English speaking Canada, some like the uh, national broadcasts like CBC or CTV, they're not getting huge viewerships. In Quebec, you have shows like Tout le monde en parle, where literally the whole province is still tuning in. I sure. think that the, I think that the, the sure. mainstream, uh, the mainstream media is still a thing you can talk about in Quebec that isn't as differentiated, and the and the and the um, American media hasn't uh, penetrated the right wing as aggressively as it is in uh, in the rest of Canada. Now, right, I, but I I'm not talking about mainstream about, media. I take your media. point about about the uh, about the Quebec Conservative Party. I mean, I think in the, in the end that, that Eric Dehem could end up being a non-story. Like he he's polling at a, at at many uh, he's he's polling well now. Um, he won't win. He still failed. He still failed in the by-election that he tried to do a breakthrough in Montreal. And we well, can... that's because he picked Montreal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> obvious. But um, I I do think that the that the Quebec obsession with making their culture a, a fortress does protect them a little bit from this type of conservative party uh, with regards the, to the I, arts i, I do yes. think that they are both i i do think that the, both the conservative party and the um and and the and the uh, quebecois populace maybe more generally are very susceptible to racist conspiracy theories particularly white replacement uh uh conspiracy theories which is why you have to across North you America. have to phrase it differently oh yeah but you but i think the thing is is that uh they phrase it differently. Like you wouldn't say uh, white people are being um, uh, uh, bred out of existence in, in French. You would say, you say exactly, exactly. You'd say Quebecois de souche. But it's and the that sort same of requires it, it means the, the same, same thing. But it's the same you, thing. You and I can understand it means the same thing, but a conservative person actually needs to, one, speak French, and then two, uh, actually consume Quebecois media to understand yep. it's the same thing and make the arguments. Now I, I do think that because they're so centered on 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 their on the West, there's probably a lot of people in the conservative party that just aren't aware that that is where the conversation is going and aren't willing to uh, to, to make that argument. If we if they do want to if they do want to do that, they can they can invest in and they can they can work that up. I just haven't seen the evidence that anyone in this in this lineup of six people are are doing that. Like I've listened to to Pierre Polyev's speeches in Quebec, it just doesn't seem like that's the way that that's where he's going at all. I'm certainly not saying that any of the six are doing it on stage right now. I'm saying if mm. they wanted to, that's what I've been saying. And there, are, uh, there are a number of things in your in your argument that are still like you're, you're just not quite on the money there. Like you're absolutely right about culture, and you're absolutely right that that far more Quebecers turn into something like Tout le monde en parle. 
and you know, then would turn into the national tune into the national in Canada. I mean, there's still, I mean, definitely like numbers by numbers. I'm sure tens of millions of Canadians still tune into the national at times. No, that's a bit. Or, well, yeah, or, at times. Yeah, at, yes. at times, not all the time, but at, at times. But it, it, like, you're absolutely right that that the arts is way bigger in Quebec. Like, I would not dispute that. What I'm disputing is that you're saying that American mainstream media hasn't penetrated Quebec. You're correct. That's not wrong. But the, the, what I'm saying is it's not mainstream media that particularly the, the Jordan, Jordan Peterson uh, type crowd in Quebec. I mean, it wouldn't be Jordan Peterson there, but like that kind of crowd in Quebec, the ones who are fighting to be able to say the N-word in an academic setting, for example, the ones who are arguing against the wokists, they're cut from the same cloth, even if they might not necessarily yeah. be aware of each other. And particularly with young Quebecers, also conservative skewing Quebecers, they do speak English, even though they're very, like, very, very nationalist. They do speak English for the most part. And they have access to not American mainstream media, but American imported conspiracy theories on Internet forums, on if they're playing Xbox Live, if they're on Internet forums, on Reddit, on 4chan, wherever they are. They speak English well enough to be able to, to understand the, 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 the gist of those conspiracy theories, the core of those conspiracy theories. And maybe you're right. Like maybe they're part of the part of the CAC are a bunch of like 40, 50 year olds that are, are likely not all of them. will. There's a bunch of them that will vote CAC. Uh, provincially liberal federally and not ever give a shit about the conservatives but it's Mm -hmm. the younger uh, successors like that are supporting the CAC right now the ones who are in academia right now Um, though that younger generation is like what Polyev is attempting to attempting to poach I think if he tried he could also poach them in Quebec Uh, and you're, you're right a pipeline would not be a way to to, to as part of that strategy but I think he you're right he speaks good enough French to 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 do it uh, he speaks pretty good French, although not like authentically, like he's an Anglophone, believe it or not, even though his name is French. Um, but he speaks it pretty well. And, uh, so I, you know, I mean, I think, I think if, I think if someone wanted to, they could thread the needle. I don't think to date that they have tried. None of the six certainly have tried. I don't think the party to date has really tried and Harper did himself no favors when he like dissed Quebec's art scene in 2008 that really actually hurt him in the province. Yeah. And, but I, but like just because Harper dissed the arts once, like the conservatives could move on from that. They choose not to. I think. I think they're too dependent on the West, uh, and and I think it's it's becoming very clear that they're appealing to their base and doing what their base wants to hear, and then they're going to try to thread the needle in the general. And I'm sure he'll try to moderate himself somewhat, but he'll have a challenge. And if it's not just in Trudeau, I think he, he will have a challenge. Well, you not say you, know, you, you say things like CBC is the greatest evil on earth. Well, Quebecers still like Radio Canada a great yeah. deal. Like it's not there. I think there are just a lot of mutually exclusive uh, uh, concerns um, that just to just really make it difficult. I think you can, I definitely think you can, you can thread the needle. Personally, I, I think the only, the, the only real way to do that is something like a, a kneecap ban or, or you do like a, you know, like the French policy where you make it, uh, um, like Macron's campaign. And this is amazing. This came from Macron's party of making it illegal for, um, um, uh, women, women below 18? the age of, of 18 to, to <sighs> wear the hijab in public. That's sickening. I, like that's it that is, is so infantilizing. That, oh, it's terrifying. It, it's My horrifying that, that 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 and he was just he was just elected on landslide. So yay humanity. Uh, yeah. The, the but that's a policy. Candidate. I think and I can very easily imagine um, Pierre Polyev uh, incorporate running on that sort of policy. If he sees some, if he sees 
some uh, a polling that suggests that there would be a fair number of Canadians that would support it, or at least a fair number of Canadians who are on the fence about that, that's something you could use to, to thread the needle. I mean, I people do think forget that, that the kneecap ban was, was supported popular. by over 80% of Canadians in, the, in yeah. 2015, and the, the reality was it wasn't high on anybody's priority list of things to get done, which is why it didn't really figure into the electoral calculus for most people. But it was a popular policy, sadly. Yeah. No, absolutely. But I don't know. So that is, yeah. That's, that's um... well, there is one thing that, that is interesting to me, and that is, um, so there are six people that, um, that cleared the hurdle, they got the number of signatures and the amount of money necessary to make it onto the, uh, the final vote for the conservative leadership race. But there was at least one more person. His name uh, is Borgo. And he, uh, he, so he's a member of the free of the Freedom Convoy. Uh, he's a, strongly endorsed by the Campaign Life Coalition because he's a huge anti-abortion activist, and he claims that he got enough money and signatures as well. But it seems that the leadership candidate nomination committee of the Conservative Party specifically barred him from running because he was so avowedly um, pro-life. Now, if this is if this is true, and and I'm I read this first in National Post. Now I'm reading it picked up by CBC. So now I guess this shows my liberal bias that I believe the CBC over the National Post. <laughs> it does <laughs> it does seem uh, that that actually is what happened. That and I I would want to believe that this means that the Conservative Party is aware of the sensitivity of the issue. Like you just talked about the kneecap ban being an 80-20 issue. Well, abortion rights in Canada also is an 80-20 issue. Like 80% of the population is is broadly in support of, of abortion rights, but 20% yeah. of the population is really aggressively against it. The Conservative Party here, by making this decision to bar him from running, it seems to acknowledge that uh, it knows that it's going to be in hot water uh, by reopening this debate. Candace Bergen said the same thing in the House of Commons. No, the the... the the Conservative Party is blocking this, and as we said, like that's a that's a, a major hurdle for them in Quebec. So there's clearly political reasons to do so. My only question is, can they actually hold that line? Is this a, is this like elites in the party that have a completely different view from uh, the 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 anti woke warriors that now are are guiding the energy of the party? Like, is this is this an Ottawa versus uh, the rural? Um, decision where it's like the, the, the people in their ivory towers in, in, in Ottawa are thinking this, but the mainstream conservatives aren't. Well, we're going to tell from the, from the result of this um, leadership candidacy. But it, it, it gives me some faith to think that at least for the moment, there are some reasonably mature adults who are trying to guide this party. Maybe they're going to be replaced when Pierre Polyev comes in and, That's and what I was thinking. removes these guys. <laughs> Like how long is that going to last? Like, and that's and yeah, that's exactly. honestly that's what I was getting at. I I, I think yeah. like maybe I didn't I didn't uh, package it together well, but I was really just lamenting the 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 lack of a competent ground game outside of the West. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's it, yeah. it's been a little bit honestly, with the exception of I guess Jenny Byrne who's hanging around with Pierre Polyev and trying oh, to trying to to, to stay yeah. around the party. Um, it's been something of a brain drain, I think. I think that yeah. the, 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 the old, a lot of the old, like maybe 2006, 2008 conservatives are, are getting upset with the direction that the party's going. I think the, the party is slowly becoming too much for certain 
more moderate conservatives. Uh, and I think, uh, I mean, you sort of touched on that in the beginning too, but like, I, I think what I'm saying is I don't, I don't know if they're going to have the seasoned vets that know the ground games and, you know, maybe aside from Jenny Byrne who will eventually be out of touch. And so, and so it's like, it just seems, I just don't know how it can get like better for them unless they manage to cobble together a proper coalition. And they, again, there are ways they could do that, but it's just, they, they, you're saying there's there's adults that are trying to guide, to guide the party in the right direction. I think there are, but I think there's less and less of them. You know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and those those adults could all be in Jean Charest's camp and about to be completely clobbered. So. Well, well, yeah. there you go. Exactly, and I think sadly you're right. I think a lot of them are over in the the more moderate campaigns, and they just don't have the momentum that Polyev does. I mean, you know, it's important to point out important to point out rather that um, you know Maxime Bernier was the front runner in 2017 for most of the campaign Andrew Shear pulled it off and you know so it's not impossible that you know something could happen but I also think it's hard to see at this point how that would happen until we see how the ballots kind of fare uh but and how the how many memberships each candidate is able to sell but as of right now Polyev is looking quite uh like like yeah, the, Patrick like the guy they want Patrick Brown remains the the wild card in the campaign particularly when he didn't even bother to show up in the in the debates like he's clearly He's clearly willing to go under the radar. He seems to be, we know he's a good organizer. He seems to be going very aggressively into those communities I was I was talking about, the traditional, the, the non-traditional conservative voters, the non-white voters that you normally don't hear a lot from. He is really good at finding them and bringing them onto his side, signing them up and politically activating them. Yeah. And if he can do it, uh, you know, he'll, he can potentially, uh, you know, he can potentially be the the one that coalesces the anti PP vote, and uh, and keeps Pierre Polyev from winning the leadership. I mean, the problem is when you don't show up for for a debate, um, we don't know anything about you. So we he he either could be doing excellently or he could be in the in the dumps. We have no idea. He's he's letting nothing be the story, and that's never a good strategy. And on that happy, happy note, uh, thanks so much for listening today. Uh, we hope you enjoyed listening to us rant and rave. And if you want to hear more of that, uh, if you have questions for us, if you have con- concerns, if you have questions on some of the things we talked about today, some of the things we mentioned today, uh, hit us up at speechfromthethrone at gmail.com. That's speechfromthethrone at gmail.com. And with that, we hope that you take good care and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.